Welcome to Secure Freedom Radio. This is Frank Afney, your host and guide for what I think of as an intelligence briefing on the war for the free world. A man who enables us to bring extraordinary intelligence to bear on some of the most important facets of the war for the free world is a regular at this program, I'm extremely proud to say. His name is Gordon Chang. He is one of our country's foremost experts, well, I think one of the world's foremost experts, on what the Chinese Communist Party is up to and what it will mean for all of us if it has its way. I had the privilege of being with Gordon yesterday in Washington, D.C. for a conference sponsored by One Korea News, and the occasion was the launch of a new book, uh, an assessment of a piece of legislation in the United States House of Representatives known by its number HR3446. Um, also, its title is Peace on the Korean Peninsula Act. Um, Gordon spoke, as always, with great authority and passion on this proposition. Uh, we'll talk with him a little bit more about it, but let me just say, in addition to his appearances at conferences, his uh, very important contributions to this program and other media outlets. He's the author of, among other things, The Coming Collapse of China and a contributor to Gatestone Institute and Newsweek. He is also, uh, of course, to be followed closely at Gordon G. Chang on Twitter. Gordon, welcome back to Secure Freedom Radio. As always, it's great to be with you, and thank you for your contribution to the success of yesterday's program. Well, thank you so much, Frank, and it was an honor to be there with you, so I very much appreciate the opportunity. Good. Well, the pleasure was mine. Let me talk a little bit with you about this legislation. We addressed it, I thought, extraordinarily usefully on a program of a new series that uh, One Korea News is sponsoring, which I'm proud to be the host. It's called Issues Alive, the big picture. And you were very, I think, impressive, Gordon, both in that program and yesterday's in describing the real dangers that are associated with this notion that somehow will persuade the North Koreans to be better behaved if we uh, sign an armistice follow-on, a peace agreement, if you will, to formally end the Korean War. Walk us through what's going on here and why that's so. Well, H.R. 3446, which is the misnamed Peace on the Korean Peninsula Act, um, encourages the Secretary of State to pursue a formal and final end to the state of war. Um, and this is the Korean War, which ended in 1953 with an armistice, not with a peace treaty. So while the fighting um, was formally ended, um, this has continued to be um, conflict on the peninsula, as North Korea has repeatedly violated the armistice with attacks on South Korea. Um, Moon Jae-in, the president of South Korea, who is very pro-North Korea, pro-China, wants what's called an end of war declaration, and that is that uh, South Korea, the United States, um, maybe North Korea, would and China would declare an end to the war. Um, this would not be, uh, th this would not formally end the war. You could only do that by turning the armistice into a peace treaty. The danger here, though, Frank, is that North Korea still has not renounced the use of force, 
still um, believes that South Korea is illegitimate and wants to destroy it, and still um, bases about 70% of its forces below the Pyongyang-Wonsan line. In other words, forward deployed, ready to strike South Korea. So you can't just declare, oh, I want peace, and there will be peace. There will only be peace, um, and this is unfortunate, but will there only be peace until the North Korean regime fails and that there is a United Republic of Korea? Um, people would like to think that there could be this interim step where the two Koreas could get along. But North Korea um, believes the legitimacy of the North Korean state is dependent on destroying the South. That's such a foundational point, Gordon. I can't believe that we could possibly be indulging in notions that somehow those sorts of considerations don't matter when clearly they have to. Um, when an adversary is telling you specifically it intends to destroy you or your ally, it, uh, it it's ignored, obviously, at our extreme peril. Gordon, I, I thought that the other participants, uh, both in the program and those who made contributions to this book uh, assessing HR 3446, um, made a whole series of really important points. And, and one that I particularly take to heart is uh, that any country that treats its own people so abysmally as the North Korean regime does its, is unlikely to be either more, uh, shall we say, tender in their mercies towards the rest of us, um, or more reliable, for that matter, in terms of uh, making uh, new uh, binding treaty obligations with respect to how they deal with, say, South Korea. Well, the North Korean regime commits genocide against certain parts of its population, which are not pure Korean. Also, um, it runs concentration camps, commits atrocities that are unspeakable. Um, and so that's the nature of the regime. And we got to remember, this is not just North Korea. Um, China does this as well. And um, we Americans would like to think that we can talk to an adversary or an enemy and be able to obtain stable relations. This is a fantasy that we have maintained for decades. Um, but our policies have strengthened regimes like North Korea's, like China's. And so uh, we need a whole new outlook in Washington um, and the policy community to realize that, as Ronald Reagan said, it's the nature of the regime's matter. And so although this is unpalatable um, to diplomats, Nonetheless, um, our, our republic is at risk because of misguided, deeply misguided policies conducted over the course of decades with regard to Pyongyang and Beijing, among others. It, it's so vital that we understand this, Gordon, because uh, history teaches that if you make strategic mistakes, uh, like that Dean Acheson made back in 1950 when he signaled that Korea was outside of our area vital interests in the Pacific, uh, in Asia and specifically, um, and uh, Stalin was prompted to believe that he could have his puppet Kim Il-sung attack the South with impunity, and uh, that brought us a terrible war. We certainly don't want to uh, precipitate another one with a similar kind of benighted strategic mistake like H.R. 3446. Let me turn, Gordon, if I can, to uh, the 
genocide games. Uh, our Center for Security Policy just conducted a poll with TIP, T-I-P-P, which found that 50% of those responding, uh, 1,300 questioned, felt that the United States should fully boycott, not just diplomatically, um, the Olympic Games in Beijing in February, um, if any of several different circumstances arose, uh, including, most obviously, an attack by China against military bases of the United States and the region. Um, what are your thoughts as we talk today, Gordon, about the games and the diplomatic boycott the administration has announced and the dangers of possibly having them do for the Chinese Communist Party what the 1936 games did for Adolf Hitler's Nazi Party, the Third Reich. On your last point, Frank, we don't have to speculate because we have the example of the 2008 Summer Olympics in Beijing, where Beijing made all sorts of promises to obtain the games about human rights, freedom of the press, and the rest of it, um, and uh, actually dishonored all of them even before the games began. Um, and Beijing used the, especially the opening and the final cer ceremonies um, in gross displays of totalitarianism. Um, and, and this was used to legitimize um, Communist Party rule. So this has occurred before, and Beijing is obviously going to do the same thing again. Um, we should be going to the International Olympic Committee to demand that the games be moved. And there are two reasons for this. First of all, the IOC cannot guarantee the safety of athletes on Chinese soil. We know this with the three-time Olympian uh, tennis star Peng Shui, who was disappeared after she posted on November 2nd um, her allegations of rape against a former senior leader and his wife. Um, the second reason is that China's committing genocide and crimes against humanity. And this goes to your point about legitimization. Um, this what, what China's doing now is worse than what uh, the Third Reich did in 1936. Um, when uh, they hosted the games in Berlin. The other thing we should be doing, Frank, is we should be going to the IOC and demanding that they uh, ban Chinese participation in all Olympic competitions, regardless where they're held. And the reason is the IOC did this uh, in the early 1960s with South Africa because a significant portion of the South African population was not able to participate in sport. Well, the same thing is true. And, and in fact, the policies that China maintains now are worse than South Africa's in the 1960s. And this is with regard, of course, to Uyghurs, Kazakhs, other Turkic minorities, as well as Tibetans. So, um, yes, we should have a re-examination of all of these issues um, because the diplomatic boycott that the Biden administration announced, while a step in the right direction, is certainly not sufficient for the circumstances at hand. Amen to that. And, and is it your professional judgment, Gordon Chang, that if the administration does nothing more, if the United States as a country, including, of course, the U.S. Olympic and Paralympic committee does nothing more to penalize China for all of these crimes against humanity and, and other criminal activities for that matter, that they will be emboldened by this diplomatic boycott rather than um, in any way chastised, shall we say. We know that um, uh, South Korea, a U.S. treaty ally, is going to go to the Winter Olympics and uh, only a handful of countries have um, agreed to a diplomatic boycott, um, which is 
good, but um, we need to have uh, unanimity on this. And having announced a diplomatic boycott, uh, I think the administration um, should have um, been working intensively with countries around the world so that they would also participate. Because otherwise, Beijing is able to point to the United States and saying, well, the United States is the one that's isolated on this. And yes, um, to your point, um, it does embolden the Chinese. So um, this is, this is again, um, misconceived American diplomacy. Um, as I said, I'm glad we're not sending diplomats to Beijing, but uh, we need to be doing a lot a lot more. We do indeed. And I think this is a point on which um, I would hope uh, Republicans and Democrats can agree, especially with this evidence that uh, large numbers of Americans are very much of this sim of similar mind. Um, Gordon, let me turn to a couple of other things quickly before we run out of time with you. Um, Evergrande, the huge real estate conglomerate in China, appears now to have actually slid into default. Um, what are the implications of that? And do you see uh, that in any way uh, undermining the kind of influence that we keep seeing exercised by people on Wall Street that uh, American investors should redouble or triple, in the case of Larry Fink, triple their investments there. Yeah. Uh, last Monday, Evergrande did not make a bond payment at the expiration of a 30-day grace period. Um, and they had in the past um, not made bond payments on the due dates, but was able to pay investors or bondholders um, dur during the grace periods. Um, so clearly Evergrande right now is on a track um, where it is, uh, I think, probably headed for dissolution. And, and that's essentially what the Beijing's um, central government and also provincial and lower tier governments are now involved in, in parceling out Evergrande's assets. So it's not formally a bankruptcy or um, a bankruptcy proceeding, but that's effectively what's happening. And it's not just Evergrande. There's contagion because there are smaller property developers that have also failed to make bond payments. This seems to be systematic, um, systemic, and it also seems um, it could bring down the entire Chinese economy, um, depending on how this works out. Beijing will try um, to do what it with the whole property sector, what it's doing with Evergrande, and that is to slow this out. Um, but we saw the effects of this in Japan after the 1989 crash. Um, they had a decade of um, stagnation, um, either uh, contraction or near contraction. China is very much in the same path, but China is less able to get out of it than Japan did because there's too much debt. We don't know exactly how much debt there is, but some people say it's 400% of gross domestic product when you look crunchy wide with all of the players, because there's a lot of so-called hidden debt. I think that this is Beijing's last crisis. A very important prediction. Um, Gordon, you've been very, I think, courageous in documenting and pointing out and warning of um, things reaching such a pass. And um, this is a moment when it does seem to be uh, the stars are aligning very much to the detriment of the Chinese Communist Party. And all the more reason why we should not be propping it up with our investment dollars, if only because investors are likely to lose their money by so doing. And Gordon, uh, lastly, one of the things that we've been tracking uh, with you is the problem of the economic warfare that China has been waging against our country, particularly with respect to 
stealing or otherwise acquiring our technology, our, our know-how particularly with respect to um, the weapon systems uh, that we rely upon for protection against China, not least. Um, there was a conviction on the 5th of November of a Chinese spy uh, who apparently was responsible for engineering the theft of some very sensitive advanced jet engine technology from General Electric, I believe. Um, what are we to take away from this uh, conviction? And are we learning the lessons of how important it is that we stop the Chinese from perpetrating such theft? Unfortunately, Frank, um, we have a policy establishment that hasn't learned the lesson lessons because our computer networks and our society is just open to Chinese theft. Each year, uh, China steals somewhere in the neighborhood of, let's say, um, a half a trillion dollars of U.S. IP. And this continues year after year. So it's not just a question of the Chinese criminality. It's also a question of our um, leaving our networks open and leaving our society open. Um, so we've let them do this. Uh, and the Americans should be furious at Beijing, but we should also be furious at a succession of American presidents who've allowed this to continue. Amen to all of that. Gordon, we have to make that the last word. Thank you for your time today, as well as uh, these very important contributions you make to us each week, but also to programs like the one that the One Korea News Network sponsored yesterday. Um, it was inspiring and uh, so urgently needed at a moment when people are thinking, I think, rather recklessly about um, making still more concessions to North Korea. And uh, your corrective on that count is really appreciated. God bless you, my friend. We'll talk with you in a week's time. Keep up the good work in the meantime at, uh, at the Gatestone Institute, Newsweek and elsewhere. We'll talk with you soon.